2: Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. You're listening to Fields, the podcast.
3: I'm Wythe Marshall. And
1: I'm Melissa Metric.
3: On Fields, we're bringing you the stories of people who are working in the world of urban agriculture. For money, for fun, for art, for justice— To feed the hungry, to green the city, or to uncover its history.
1: In each episode of Fields, we'll delve into one kind of food that's grown in cities, one technology used to grow, or one project that teaches us something about our relationship to farming in urban environments.
3: Moreover, we'll investigate all the whys behind getting up in the morning and working as a farmer in the city today.
1: You don't need to be a farmer to enjoy this podcast, or even a foodie.
3: We're going to tell fascinating stories and break down the realities and possible futures of urban farming to their elements. Hey, welcome. Welcome to Fields, the unfinished story of urban agriculture. Uh, I'm Wife Marshall and...
1: Hi, I'm Melissa Metrick.
3: And we're joined uh, by a very special guest um, we both know and are very excited to talk to you a real expert uh, and have a, a you know, hopefully really good conversation um, with our, our friend, uh, Yolanda Gonzalez. Um, Yolanda?
4: Hi, everyone. My name is Yolanda Gonzalez. Um, I'm an urban ag specialist with Cornell Cooperative Extension based in New York City. I'm part of the urban ag team, um, part of Harvest New York, which focuses on development projects in the farm and food industries of rural and urban New York. So connecting upstate and downstate.
3: Oh, thanks so much for for joining.
1: Can you talk about your position a little bit? Um, just,
4: you know, describing it. I'm sure. So about five years ago, um, we started this like new office essentially. Um, it was already in place, but then, um, kind of went dormant for a bit. And then, so Sam Anderson, my colleague is the other urban agriculture specialist. Him and I work, um, on commercial urban ag. So providing technical assistance and educational programming, um, for urban growers in New York City.
1: That's great. Do you want to just talk a little bit about why you think that position started opening up and, and you know, just this connection in general from, you know, Cornell upstate and to downstate in the city?
4: Yeah, so um, Cornell Cooperative Extension traditionally has worked with uh, rural Um, farmers throughout New York State. And so being the land-grant university, um, translating the latest evidence-based findings uh, generated by the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, as well as the College of Human Ecology, um, we realized that we were serving more of a rural audience and also wanted to move into the urban agriculture space. Um, so really felt that there was a need to have the sim- similar programmings and um, research being done in urban centers throughout New York as there is in rural areas.
1: And we are very thankful for that. Um, <laughs> um, how did you get into this work in general? Like, how did you, you know, get interested in agriculture and farming and urban agriculture and all that stuff?
4: Yeah, so I first got um, interested in, I guess, the food world in general when I woofed in Vermont. So for those of you that aren't familiar with woofing, um, stands for Worldwide Opportunities on Organic Farms. And that was in 2008, the summer before my senior year in college. And that sort of set the trajectory of uh, my interest and passion in farming and agriculture. And I went on to finish my undergraduate degree and did an internship Um, with farmers markets. I graduated and worked for GrowNYC, managing a few farmers markets throughout New York City. Um, And then from there, acquired some hands-on experience um, in organic farming and research uh, through being a greenhouse manager at Four Seasons Farm and a research assistant at the Rodale Institute. Um, And then I got my MPA and did my thesis work in urban ag. So kind of came full circle, but um, was a wide range of different experiences that sort of led me to this point.
1: Yeah, that's great. Um, it's kind of interesting. I remember when I moved back to, um, New York city, I remember wanting to get into the food world and I started at the farmer's markets as well. And I was like, how do I get into this urban agriculture thing? Why don't I just work with farmers? So it's kind of, it that's kind of fun that, um, you know, some of us go that right, that route. Um, can you, um, explain the extension agency, a, a, like a little bit more, um, and also like the programs that you work within the extension agency, um, like you mentioned, um, the urban agriculture program, there's also the community mushroom educator, um, program. So, um, yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit?
4: Sure. Um, So Cornell Cooperative Extension, or CCE, um, deploys 60-plus agricultural specialists throughout the state. And we also partner with nearly 400 Cornell faculty and staff, like I mentioned before, um, just translating the latest evidence-based findings generated at Cornell into practical knowledge um, delivered through our programming and the services that we provide um, that reach about 2 million New Yorkers each year. Um, And some of the programs or topic areas that we are working to improve include farming and food production um, as a whole, not our office specifically, like CC in general. Um, Parenting and family um, dynamics, child health and nutrition, community resilience, nutrition education. So the topic areas that we focus here in New York City, um, there's another extension office, CUCE, Cornell University Cooperative Extension. It's a little confusing. Um, But they are with the College of Human Ecology, and our program focuses more on um, College of Agricultural Life Sciences. So we're working more with, um, you know, pests and disease issues that farmers may have and... um, the CUCE branch focuses more on 4-H and nutritional education. So that's a bit um, just uh, an overview of the different topic areas that CCE works on.
3: And so can you can you say a little about like what that work looks like? Because I think it's, it's really fascinating and there's so much that CCE does. And I, I imagine even listeners who are growers themselves may not know all the parts, especially the, I feel like maybe in different parts of the country, it's probably also going to look different with different land grant universities and, and different extension agencies. Um, but yeah, like what are some of the things you, you do or, or even if you want to highlight like colleagues? I mean, I'm just kind of curious, you know, so listeners get a sense of like how extension helps farmers really.
4: Yeah. So when Sam and I first started this position, we did a needs assessment to kind of understand what our audience was really looking to get out of extension. And something that came up was essentially having the same access to programs that upstate CC offices had. So if there was you know, a class on mushroom production, that that same class be offered in New York City. If there was a class upstate on beekeeping or um, you know rabbit production, whatever it was um that urban growers and folks in the city could also have access to those classes too, so um making sure that we were providing um the same opportunities as someone who was in a rural area would have
1: sign me up for beekeeping I totally want. <laughs> and yeah for, and for you know um. Yeah, so can you delve a little bit into the Community Mushroom Educator Program?
4: Um, yeah, so the CME, or Community Mushroom Educator Training Program, um, was a SARE and AFRI-funded uh, program of the last three years. And essentially, it's building um, educational capacities, so building a cohort of educators from both urban and rural centers to increase access to mushroom knowledge. Um, the idea behind that is so it's not just, you know, a few experts in New York State that can teach mushroom education, but how do we teach other people to teach this um, cultivation knowledge? So how can we have more trainers um, that go on and teach workshops and classes and consult and things like that? So we really wanted to increase the number of experts, of mushroom experts, um, both on a state level, but also throughout the Northeast and our latest round of CME cohorts are actually like nationwide, and in some cases, a few folks in Canada. So we really, because we um, have made it an online program, we made it really accessible for folks that don't um, live in New York um, to attend. And that was that was a change. So pre-pandemic, we were um, thinking of having three in-person trainings. It's going to be um, in Albany, in New York City, and Philly. And then COVID hit and we had to pivot and make it more accessible. So we moved it to an online training. So it's had its pros and cons. Um, Definitely that hands-on piece has been um, a challenge. Like the lack of the hands-on piece has been a challenge for folks as much as we try to do like enriching supplemental um, programming and things like that but it's made it more accessible, which has been, um, which has been definitely a plus.
1: Yeah. And especially during the, you know, quarantine and everything, so many people left the city. So maybe that kind of helped a little bit with more consistency and, you know, if people move back to the city, they could still be doing that program in general. So yeah, that sounds great. Um, and also I, I think this is something we we've brought up in previous episodes, especially our mushroom episode. Um but um why why mushrooms? Why why educating why educators about educating mushrooms? <laughs> Sorry.
4: <laughs> That's a great question. I think um Mushrooms are really great because they don't require a lot of continuous continuous maintenance, um, like something like shiitake logs, you inoculate the logs, you know, you make sure they don't dry out, but it's not like they need to be constantly weeded or tended to, you could just sort of like let them set. Um, and also they do well in shady areas, so you don't have to have full sun, and that works in a place like, in a really urban center like New York, where there's a lot of shade from nearby buildings. Um, um, so I would say just the suitability of mushrooms in urban spaces, but also, um, incorporating mushrooms into existing urban garden and farm systems. So like incorporating like wine caps and almond agaricus into existing vegetable production, vegetable and food production. Um, so it's really maximized production in a small space.
3: That's awesome. Um, and, and do, have you, can you talk a little about the program and like how it works and, and some of the successes you've seen, just sort of the details to get, you know, maybe get people excited about CME is, is this idea. Um, so it seems really, really, uh, great. And like, yeah, it's something that's come up in a lot of our interviews, this interest in generally in growing mushrooms and foraging mushrooms and like learning more. So, um, yeah, I mean, is that exciting to you to just see people coming to you for, to, to ask for that knowledge and, and, you know, how does it work? How do you give it to them? You know?
4: Um, It's been really rewarding to see people go through the program and then have the confidence to be able to answer questions. Like I've been in workshops before with people that have graduated from the cohort that have become advanced CMEs that are also mentoring and training the next cohort. So it's that train the trainer model. And... um, yeah, they they're not looking at me to answer the questions. They 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 know the answers already. So they, that means that they've done enough of these workshops, and they feel confident enough to lead these this educational programming on their own. Um, so that's really satisfying and rewarding to see. Um, but essentially, for the program. There's a series of online trainings that you do, and then you have to do a mini project. In some cases, a few of the educators have translated some of the documents and have created either, you know, a dynamic like mushroom life cycle poster in Spanish, or have created like a handout um, and have translated that. I've, it's been really nice to see resources in Spanish around mushroom production um, because I think in general a lot of our resources are lacking in other languages. We don't have that really readily available. Um, so it's been great to see CMEs that have been working on that.
3: Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, um, can you say, like, who is interested? Like, who who are some of the folks who've done it? Or, or can you th- highlight anyone you want to shout out? Um, you know, different kinds of, of people who want to become, you know, community mushroom educators? Because it's, it's like a non-obvious job title, you know what I mean? Um but it's a, it's a cool idea of a, of a new sort of certification, and maybe some growers again, you know, might, you know, be able to think like, oh, I could do that. Um, but yeah, like, who's who's come through?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. So we've had a lot of people apply, and um, sometimes it is, you know, a farmer that has education already incorporated into their business model, or it could be another CCE extension agent upstate who wants to, you know, also become an expert so that they themselves can teach workshops. Um, We've had recently folks from, we had, you know, Lee from the NYU Mycology Club, um, also NYRP New York Restoration Project, um, and a host of other um, folks who live and um, grow in both rural and urban locations. And really, we were looking for people that were committed to community-based education models that were ready and had a a platform and an outlet to deliver workshops that they already had the audience that was interested so folks that had that connection uh, we did prioritize admitting them in the beginning of of our programming
3: got it yeah that makes sense you want to you want to bring people who have the audience so they can pass on to others right away Um, uh, Melissa, did you have other questions about mushrooms? I mean, I want to make sure this is this is kind of a central theme that's emerging uh, for this
1: season. What are certain varieties, varietals that you focus on um, when you're, you know, like what are the um, easier varieties to kind of train people on, to train other people on and that kind of thing?
4: I think if you're working in uh, an urban context, I always think that wine caps are just the easiest. Um, because it's just the lasagna garden bed design of um, of wood chips and straw and mulch and just layering those different um, organic matter together and then sprinkling spawn in between. So I always think that's the easiest to start with. And um, if you and you can sort of start it at any time. So if you do, you know, inoculate a bed in the winter you'll see it pop up in the spring. Um, yeah. So,
1: yeah. Um, Lee, um, who, who we also interview in the season, Lee Ullman, um, who was a part of the community mushroom educator program. Um, she did teach the NYU mycology group, um, how to inoculate the, our perennial bed with wine cap mushrooms. And we did it last fall, and it popped up in this spring. But it's so interesting. So they stopped growing in that bed, but they're popping up all over. The NYU farm—it's crazy. Like even today, we noticed one all the way on the other side of the farm, and and um, I didn't even see it. And my students like, is this the one, like one of the mushrooms? And I was like, wow, I can't believe it. So it's kind of—they do seem kind of easier to grow, um, and they are this really like beautiful kind of like red, you know, wine I guess like type of color. And they're kind of tasty too. They have a like a little bit of um, like a lot of um, water when you're cooking them down, but like once you really cook them down, they're 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 pretty good. So, thanks, Yolanda. Now we have <laughs> now we have mushroom. Um, now we have wine caps on the on the farm, which was really exciting.
4: Yeah, no problem. And you didn't try the Amanita garicus variety because that works the same way in terms of like mulching and things.
1: Yeah, we did, but um, we did it in this other area and we just did compost and we didn't have enough um, mulch. But also that area wasn't irrigated and so we weren't that on top of watering it. So I think that's why that didn't really work out. Um, but we did try that variety too. We
4: tried the wine cap and the, um, the almond. What is it? Almond. Almond agaricus, yeah. That's a good point about so, like, the reasons why um, I say those two is because they can be incorporated into existing, you know, garden beds. So, like, hopefully you're already irrigating, you know, that bed. And so it's not like an extra step um, to, like, keep it from drying out.
1: Yeah. And and maybe they'll even help keep moisture there in general, especially with all the mulch and everything else. Right. Um, the little mycelium network down there.
2: This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City, Long Island, and Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com.
3: Many growers may may know about cooperative extension um but I, I wonder I mean others may not you know and, and I think it's interesting just the the range of activities um and uh and the and the ways in which uh farms in general can like work with uh plant scientists and and fungus scientists. But um, in this urban context, like some of the specific urban ag programs that have developed, and I think the CME program is an example of one that, that even as you say, Elon, it kind of emerged. It sounds like it emerged with without um, the final goal, you know, the, the final goal that was originally in mind was like more like traditional trainings in C two, and now it's this online course, and that was something actually in a way positive and and kind of went in an interesting direction. So it seems like a lot of your job, um, from what I from what I've heard, is is uh, a little bit like figuring out what the problem is and problem solving and there's like a creativity to that that sounds kind of interesting that's a little bit different than like someone in a lab doing just you know plant science or or you know even even in a, in a test like forest environment just doing like mycology right like you're going out and meeting people and being like okay tell me what's wrong like how, how can i help um that's kind of the vibe i get which i think is just super interesting from a, like someone who studies like the business of farming like that's, that's a really interesting role to be in because you're connecting a lot of dots for a lot of different actors in our food system. So it's not really a question, uh, <laughs> but I guess that leads into Melissa. you, you know, this is a question you, you'd written, you know, are, are there new interesting projects you're working on? So maybe Yolanda, it's a chance to just say like, what are you up to recently? You know, what's, what's interesting, what's happening?
4: Um, so the latest project that I'm working on is actually developing, um, a uh, recent publication called "The Promise of Urban Agriculture" into a, an online curriculum. So, working with USDA um, AMS on this project, and it's drawing on case studies of fourteen urban farms plus insights from over one hundred and fifty urban ag advocates. Um, And it's essentially uncovering the policies, resources, research, and education needed to support the successful development of commercial urban farms. Um, So we're incorporating this into a practical training and educational resources online through a Teachable platform. It'll be housed under the Cornell Small Farms site. um, And we'll basically have three target audiences. So we're looking at experienced farmers interested in commercial urban farming but also planners and policy advocates who are wanting to improve their support for urban agriculture, um, and nonprofit and extension educators supporting the development of commercial urban farms. So those are the three target audiences, and we're hoping to get a pilot of at least course one done by the beginning of next year. So that's 2023. Yep. I was trying Uh, to think. Yeah, January 2023.
3: That's ambitious. That's like another big, um, program. Cause I know is this is, this is with, um, Anu or. Yep. Yeah. So she's, she's, a um, the director of small farms and wrote, as I recall, the promise of urban agriculture for the USDA, which is this book length study of, yeah, different commercial urban farms. Um, but she was also involved with a CME program. Is that correct? Or is that, she was not involved with that one?
4: Um, she was, yep. That's, okay. um, as the director of Cornell small farms, um, this uh, CME project was a joint effort between Harvest New York and Cornell and Cornell Small Farms. Got it.
3: Um, and then she's also developing something. Something I'd worked on was a program about um, specifically indoor agriculture training, but not not necessarily urban. It was you know not contextualized as urban or rural. So it sounds like Small Farms is doing a lot to move into this space of online education and providing more and more resources to growers. So that's cool that there's a specific urban focus in commercializing urban growing. Um, can you share like where that you said the project there'll be a pilot ready next year, so it sounds like you're working on it pretty actively right now.
4: Yep, and our team is also more further along um with the planners curriculum, and that's really exciting because I find that there isn't like there currently right now isn't a lot of um great uh online trainings or uh just professional development on how to support. Urban ag policy um, for policymakers and planners. So, folks that want to understand maybe zoning or different successful examples of um, policy around around the country, what that looks like. So, having that in place and being able to offer that, I think it's also great timing, given that there's this office of urban agriculture in New York City and. Yeah, and just more recognition on a federal level from the USDA and FSA and all these different entities about, you know, the importance of urban ag and and including urban ag community in our discussions around agriculture and food systems.
3: Yeah, for sure. So um, that sounds really timely and that kind of feeds in that question, given that, you know, this is fall 2022, there is a new Office of Urban Agriculture here in New York City um, and now we know who the director is, uh, Kiana Mickey. Um, so, what do you think? What, have you interfaced with the new office? Does your does your team work with them? I, do you have any idea what they're going to do? I mean, I, I don't really know. Um, as we're recording this, and I'm just very curious what your thoughts are on what um, you know how how New York City can support growers from an official you know mayoral perspective. Um, so, I know it's a little broad, but um, you know, what do you, what do you think? What's the opportunity? What is the promise of urban ag here?
4: <laughs> That's a great question. Um, well, I'll, I have to say that. I've seen a lot of movement in the last five years. Um, There were, as you recall, like, you know, bills that were introduced to have like a comprehensive urban ag plan. And then that morphed into having a website on the New York City government um, page. And so that was a really great resource. I use that website often. Um, And then now to having an official office and having Kiana as the director. So it's definitely come a long way in the last five years and I've seen a lot of advancement. Um, And because that search took a little while, um, I'll just give you some backstory. I did approach um, a few members of the mayor's office because we were kind of ready, by by we, I mean the National Young Farmers Coalition, the New York City chapter. I'm one of the co-officers. And we were ready to like hit the ground running as soon as Eric Adams was mayor. And I think we knew that this office was going to come into play, but then, you know, this person uh, kind of had to be hired and that search took a little while. But we did have talks of having listening sessions and um, virtual roundtables with urban farmers and kind of, you know, suggesting that there be a similar approach and having a needs assessment, and really just hearing from the whole community on what are the biggest challenges in New York City around urban ag, so that whatever direction they took was really focused on you know the latest issues that people were having. So that that has been sort of my approach. And yeah, I'm pretty optimistic. I think there's a lot of political will and buy-in, and I see it really moving forward.
3: Yeah, that's great, and I love that idea of needs assessment. I, I think um, you know I've I've tried to talk um, it, with you know people at NYU about uh, participatory design and the need to bring growers in to policymaking and uh, you know resource distribution and all that. And we had some really good talks at like Urban Design Forum about this the same idea of sort of how do you have participatory design whether you're doing sort of social science research or looking at policy and distribution of resources, or, yeah, with with um, extension and how you approach your work. Um, I think there's, there's probably a lot of energy across uh, different groups of urban ag stakeholders for something like that. So very excited to see what happens. Um, it sounded like you don't have... Uh, uh, so we were chatting about this beforehand, but... Um, You know, there's also a state level initiative as well, which I don't really know much about, and it's fine if you don't know much about. But I'm just curious if you know anything about the state level interest in urban ag as well. That I don't know if that's spurred by the Adams team or if it's just you know the time, the time is nigh. Uh, But there's this community garden task force at the state level, um, and there's interest there too. So at some point, it'd be cool to sort of see, compare in a way, what's happening in New York City with other um, areas of the state, and maybe you know share share some learnings. Um, Yeah, do you have any thoughts on on that?
4: I can tell you that there's a lot happening in urban agriculture as a whole, both with commercial urban farms and community gardens um, in terms of pushing policy forward. And I'm just thinking about GBUG or Greater Buffalo Urban Growers. um, And they're doing a lot in terms of their soil pledge, looking at um, zoning and really um, building their voice so that they can talk to policymakers and really have like you know, a unified voice around urban ag issues. So I, I am seeing a lot of uh, examples across the state in urban centers that are doing a really great job on um, pushing policy forward and also looking at zoning and overall like what their values are on urban agriculture as a whole. So, yeah, I'm seeing a lot of great examples. Cool.
3: Yeah, hopefully, um, maybe we should talk to the people at GBUG too and see how they're they're looking at some of the, the issues that, that crop up. Whether it's you know like land use, I think comes up a lot. These these supposed conflicts between urban ag and other land use, like affordable housing. I think that's sort of the biggest one that that gets talked about in media. Um, but yeah, I, I imagine it's it's going to be a little different um, in different regions. Um, Melissa, did you you have questions? Um, sorry, I jumped in. I just get, get excited.
1: No, I think all that is all that is great. Um and it's interesting. I honestly I don't know that much about urban policies like uh urban agriculture policy and um a lot of that stuff that's going on. So just as a grower, I find all of this interesting and also just, you know, the extension um program in general through Cornell and just how important it is. It's like, you know, I never think about you know, as an urban grower, we have so many different pests and diseases that come through. And it's like, even though I'm on Houston street for the NYU urban farm lab, we still get all the things, you know, we get like all the different weeds, we get all the different bugs, we get so many, you know, different types of things in general. And so it's so nice. I think I signed up for the extension, um, email page that kind of goes out and I'm like, Oh, there is like a blight that's kind of going through with basil or with raspberries or, you know, like powdery mildew for, for basil or, you know, a blight that's going on for raspberries. And it's, and it's just kind of like so helpful in general. So, um, I really appreciate it and enjoy it because it's like, even though we're in an urban area, we still get so many of those issues and maybe, you know, who knows maybe more because it's like, we have, Buildings and shade and all the other stuff that kind of comes through. Um, but um, on that note, I know we we don't um, I was thinking wife maybe so one is we definitely uh, Yolanda want to ask you how folks can learn about the work that you do and um, all of the programs that you're working on and and how people could you know look that up and get in touch. And if they want to, you know, somehow get involved with these programs, they can. So how would folks be able to, um, you know, learn about all of that?
4: Yeah, um, so a few different ways. We have our Harvest New York, um, harvestnewyork.cce.cornell.edu. So if you just Google um, Harvest New York, New York City, we should pop up. Um, Under urban agriculture, if you um, scroll down, we have a... Signing up for a market grower update, and that's essentially our quarterly newsletter, where, like you said, we do post like the latest findings on you know, what's happening pest and disease-wise throughout New York City. And then we're also pretty active on social media. You can find us on Instagram at urbanag.nyc which I've recently learned that there's a similar account. I think it's like nyc.urbanag or something like that. So that's actually the mayor's office of Urban Ag, but ours was the original urbanag.nyc. (laughs) Uh-oh. It's okay, it's okay, it's okay. (laughs) Um, But I encourage everyone to follow both accounts. And if you follow our account on our bio link, we actually have um, our main link that links you to all the, you know, sign ups for events and things like that. And we do keep our events calendar pretty updated. So those are all the ways to keep in touch. And you could send me an email at any time at yg 88
1: Any cool events coming up?
4: Well, we just had, you know, two really cool events. And today was one of them. It was the Urban Ag Stakeholders Group um, held here at 55 Hanson, where I'm recording this podcast. And we are working with Ag and Markets on an urban ag study um, to essentially get feedback on some recommendations on how to push forward urban ag policy on a state level, um, hoping to create some standardized legislative and administrative recommendations um, that could really push things forward. Um, yeah, and we just on um, last Friday we had a really great mixer with Black Farmers United and National Farmers Coalition. I'm sorry, I'm telling you about past events, but those are just examples of events that we have had and probably will continue to have in the future. So
1: yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, what do you want to do? A lightning round?
4: Yeah,
3: sure. Uh, I guess let's <laughs> um, <laughs> let's let's do it. Yeah. Uh, so Yolanda, what's um, I? I think we're just going to ask everyone as a theme because it's it's so timely. Um, what's what's the best way to uh, deal with lantern flies? Um, no, Not as a scientist, just you as a human. What, you, what no, would you do? You no, see one? no, no. I'm, I'm no? changing it. Thoughts You're on lantern it?
1: flies. Yeah, okay. thoughts, just thoughts on just lantern
3: flies. Thoughts, fly. thoughts. Yeah. good, bad. Lightning,
4: lightning, fast. Answer. Don't think
3: about it. Thoughts.
4: <laughs> <laughs> oh, thoughts? I mean, just want to squish them anytime you see them. Like, that's the thought, is like, just stomp on them. But yeah, that's not a great thought either.
3: That's okay. That's, a, no, that's no good. <laughs> no, or bad. That's
1: that's good. I like that. We're we're definitely going to use like I just want to squish them. Like that's going to be <laughs> our <laughs> what do we what do we call it? Our cow
3: cow catcher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, y- Yolanda. What do you think? Urban ag uh, climate resilience. Go thought.
4: Oh, um, absolutely. And I, I just think about um, urban ag as all the ecosystem services, especially soil-based urban ag as um, urban heat island effect, um, or uh, mitigation of urban heat island effect, um, stormwater infiltration, pollinator habitat, um, list goes on and on. So,
1: P.S. Why, that can't be a lightning round question anymore. That's, that is not a lightning round, lightning round question. Que- no, that's like, no, that's no, like. No, no, it's not. It's not. <laughs> no, but just, it's everybody's like, that's a lightning round question. It's not so, really a okay. lightning round
3: question. Um, <laughs> What are you, what's your, what's your favorite food to grow?
4: Um, I mean, I'm kind of an impatient person. So anything that comes up really fast, I would say like radishes or, um, greens or something like that. Oh, same.
3: Very impatient. No, I, 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 feel that. Um, and maybe last lightning round question. Is there anything cool you've seen? Any, any cool new crops or any, any interesting, um, shout outs, just any shout out you want to make in urban ag?
1: Yeah. Things. Yeah. Things that people are growing in urban areas, like in New York city, cool crop
4: yeah i i I guess I'll you know I'll give credit to um I mean I learned so much from growers. I think on a recent trip to Kelly Street, um I saw pigeon peas being grown and that was awesome in New York City um, and also ginger we kind of um, did a ginger trial in grow bags and five gallon grow bags and it's been really great to see other farms um, incorporating ginger as well into their urban farm system. So that's really great. That's something that I haven't seen in the beginning when I first started. And now I feel like I've seen it at a lot of the operations that I visit.
3: That's awesome. So, um, yeah, well, well, thanks for that. And, uh, everyone who's not growing ginger or pigeon peas, one of the most delicious things in the world. Uh, I didn't know you could grow that in New York, but that yeah should not surprise me. Um, Maybe consider growing those. So I guess, um, Yolanda, is there anything else you want to talk about with, with us?
4: Oh, um, we are getting into different spaces of communication. So like we had um, Tufts, which stands for the Urban Farmer to Farmer Summit. And out of that, we created a Slack channel as a way of sort of communicating and like having a pest and disease channel too and a topic of conversation so that you can post your pictures and other gardeners can comment on that and we've kind of like lost traction but that's something that we want to pick back up so if that's of interest to you feel free to message us on instagram or send us an email or kind of let us know what are your preferred ways of communication
3: yeah we can include the the permalink to the slack uh workspace if you want in the show notes Um, and that is a good question of how, how growers communicate with one another. It's something I've tried to study a bit and found the answer is every single medium has a little bit, but there's not like one unified world here in the city.
1: Yeah. But I find it interesting. I think it's just me via like procrastinating wise, but I find that being out in the field a lot, my hands are dirty a lot. And. I don't check my email as much, but if like there's a text or there's like maybe Slack or something that I could see right away, answer right away. Um, That actually, I kind of like that a little bit better. It's like, I always have my phone on me, but to sit down and then go through my email and answer all the emails and do whatever. um, I've also noticed that with a lot of farmers, like sometimes it takes us a minute to get back because we're not at our computers all day, you know? So I think that's a great kind of, way of, of you know, how do urban growers, how do farmers communicate in general? Um, because we're not, we're, we're out there.
4: <laughs> and we're dirty.
1: Yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah. I wonder also if a WhatsApp group could be helpful too. Um, but I'm not sure if everyone uses WhatsApp. But um, we also have a listserv, the um, Craft listserv and the Urban Farm Alliance listserv, which there's been a lot of different iterations of it over the past few years, but listeners are another great way of, but again, it's email, not text. And I, I hear what you're saying, that usually text or something um, quick like that um, is the best way to communicate if you need something urgent.
3: Yeah. Well, so with that, I think um, we're going to post um, every single social media channel we can think of how to get in touch with Yolanda and the amazing CC team here in New York City. So if you're local, um, you can benefit from their knowledge, uh, and, uh, and probably even if you're not local. I mean, let's be real. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you so much, Yolanda, for, for joining us. Um, we may have you know, follow-ups. We may have to bug you in the future. We really appreciate your time. Um, I know you're very busy with all of the things you just mentioned. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, and Melissa, um, thanks for, for setting it up and yeah.
1: Thank you, Yolanda. It was great. It was great speaking with you. Thank you.
3: Fields is powered by Riverside.